man. Well, on one Saturday morning, a little boy went into his closet and got his suit out and told his daddy, I need you to tie my tie, daddy. And so his daddy tied his tie for him. And he laid out his Palm Sunday best, and this little boy was so excited. He loved going to church. He loved his Sunday school teacher, and he was so excited for Palm Sunday. And then morning came, and that little boy, as children do, woke up sick. And unfortunately, his mommy took his temperature, and the little boy couldn't go to church, and he was so heartbroken. He said, Mommy, I really want to go. His mommy said, no, you can't go, son. You're, you're, you're throwing up. You got a temperature. I know you were excited, but you can't go to church. He goes, but you know I love it. And she goes, I know, but you can't go. And so he cuddled up on the couch with his mommy and all sad, and dad still went to church. Well, shortly after service, daddy came home, and daddy was holding something in his hand. And the son said, daddy, what is that? And daddy said, well, it's a, it's a palm branch, son. And the little boy said, well... What's the, what's the palm branches for? And the daddy looked at him and said, well, son, let me tell you, when, when Jesus came in, they were waving the palm branches and they were laying them at the foot of, at the, on the floor so he could walk in on the donkey. And the little boy, almost in tears, I mean, just so sad, looked and said, really, daddy? The one Sunday I miss and Jesus shows up. <laughs> Church, today is a day of celebration. Today is a day about celebrating the triumphal entry. And today we understand that Jesus is with us. Amen. Listen, the grave could not keep him. The cross could not hold him. And he is alive and well today. And because of that, we worship today knowing he is with us. Amen. Amen. Well, speaking of worshiping, today on this beautiful Palm Sunday, I want to look at a group of worshipers with you. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading with verse 12. And this is what it says. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only Jesus was only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and they had done these things to him. We got blessed the reading of his word. It's interesting if you read the, the triumphal entry, the story, I encourage you to go home and read it in the different gospel accounts. Because if you look at it, it's interesting to see the, the different perspectives taken from the different gospel writers. The synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, they tell with what heaviness of spirit Jesus made the, the final journey from Bethany to Jerusalem. You see, when Jesus came to the city, he looked over it as he was breasting the Mount of Olives and seeing the city lying before him. And the writer said, this is in Luke, that he burst into tears and he wept. You see, the writers told us about how Jesus understood their tragic unbelief and their coming decimation. And so because of that, Jesus looked over the city 
And he began to weep because he knew what was going to happen to them. He knew their unbelief, and it's a heartbreaking scene. Jesus knows about what's going to happen next, and he knows the hearts of the people. And he knows that even when this happens, even when he goes to the cross and conquers, he knows our people who still are not going to believe. And it's truly heartbreaking to hear that story in those Gospels. But, but John's writing, <clears throat> it's a little bit different. You see, John focuses not on the sorrow. He doesn't focus on the pain. He doesn't focus on the grief that Jesus felt as he came upon the city. Instead, John takes a, he takes a little different twist to it. He looks at the primarily the enthusiastic welcome of the Palm Sunday pilgrims, as one writer put it. And so I want you to, I want us all to put on our imaginary caps for it. I want you to put yourself into that, that, that setting for just a second. I want you to put yourself into the story. I want you to be in Jerusalem for just a second. And I want you to imagine that crowd. Imagine the noise. Imagine the, the excitement that took place. It, one writer said it must have been exhilarating to hear those cheers. When you look over and all of a sudden the promised Messiah's Christians said they've been waited hundreds of years and you finally, you see the king coming, the person who was promised to save you. Can you imagine the excitement there, the noise that must have been going on in the city at the time, the cheers, the, just the loudness of it? Many of the historians believe that the Passover crowds were enormous by any standards. They said these crowds were just huge, and they came from all over Palestine, all over from every corner of the Mediterranean world. Josephus, the, the first century Jewish historian, he gives an attendance figure for any Passover for over two and a half million people, he said. Now, that was some 30 years later, but just imagine that crowd, guys. Imagine the noise that must have been there. Can you just imagine that? Now, I know it's hard for us to put ourselves in that context, right? So when we read these stories, I mean, this was thousands of years ago, and so for us to understand that context, it's, it's actually kind of hard, right? I mean, we can't, we, we can't picture that. How many of you have ever actually seen somebody ride a donkey? One person, awesome. Two people, actually, all right. Well, for the most of us, I, I personally have never actually seen anyone ride a donkey. So it's hard for us to put it in that context, right? However, let's put it into the context that we understand, just to get an understanding of the crowd, right? It's March Madness right now. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourself into that gymnasium for a minute. Who here has ever been to a basketball, uh, college basketball game? Anybody? Yeah, a lot more hands go up because it fits our context, right? So when you're in that college basketball arena, it is noisy, right? Now here's what I want you to imagine with me. It is your team playing. Now if you're like me, your team got knocked out in the first round, Ohio State. Oh man, <laughs> Whew. We're not going to talk about Ohio State this year. We're, we're, as I told everyone, we're, we're a football school. Anyway, so imagine it's your team for just a second, whoever it is, Duke, North Carolina, or whatever. And 10 seconds left on the clock. It's 89 to 89. Scores tied, 10 seconds left. Your team has the ball. You're sitting on timeout. And the coach has knelt down in the huddle, and he's, writing up, he's going 100 miles an hour writing up that plan. And all of a sudden, the buzzer rings. 10 seconds left, tied ball game. Referee hands the ball off to the player. He throws it in. The point guard got it. 
He's dribbling up the court. He makes a pass half court. He beats his defender. He lobs it off to his shooting guard who just rolled off a screen. Two seconds left, he throws it up. Three-point shot. We all know, we've all seen it, right? That hush that comes when that shot put up. And everybody... (laughs) Be good over there. (laughs) We all know the hush, right? But this time he did make it. Your team made the game-winning shot at the buzzer. Bam, goes in. Who here has ever been in a gym when a last-minute shot like that was made? What happens? The gymnasium goes ballistic, right? And it is so much noise, and they crowd the courts, and it's deafening, right? Who here has ever been a player when that happens? I mean, you don't even know what's happening. You're just like, I just won the game, and all of a sudden, everyone rushes the court, and it is so loud in that gymnasium. It is so, it is so exhilarating, so exciting, and, and everyone's going, we just won, hallelujah, we got the victory, yes! Now put it in the context of your Savior coming. They are looking at their king riding in, and they're sitting there saying, the victory is finally won. He's here. It's amazing, isn't it? When we put it in that context, a crowd of that magnitude all singing, praising, and shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It would have been an amazing spectacle to see. They're all shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna. And as the children were doing, they were waving the palm branches and they were laying them on the ground. And the palm branch is actually a really, it's an interesting symbol if you do any studying on on what the palm branch means. And it's a symbolic meaning to the Jews in ancient times and still today. And the branch is actually a symbol for, for victory and triumph and peace, and eternal life. And so they, they, they take this symbol of victory and this symbol of, of triumph, and they're saying, yes, the victory is finally here. It's finally here. Our Messiah is coming. So they lay it on the ground. They take their cloaks, and they lay it on the ground so the Lord could enter in, all while cheering and praising. They're shouting, Hosanna. But I want to ask this question this morning. So now that we're in that context, now that we understand how loud it must have been and how exciting it was been, because we get energy off crowds, right? So when you're in a crowd like that, you're, you're going you're gonna to pull off the energy. So, so you're excited and you're, you're cheering as well. Hey, everyone else is cheering, so I'm going to cheer. But the question is, why were they cheering? What was their motivation behind the cheering? I mean, there, there had to be a motive, right? So you're in, a, you're in a basketball game. Why are you cheering? Well, you just won, right? Oh, my team won. Hallelujah. You're not, if, if they would have missed, what are you going to do? Boo. Can't believe you lost again, right? You're not going to cheer. So why are we cheering? What's our motive? Well, the motive is, is king was here. And so they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Hosanna actually means salvation now. In other words, it means save us now. And we have to put ourselves back into the context, because we won't understand it if we don't understand the context in which they were living. You see, the Jews were living under Roman rule, and they were expecting God to send the Messiah who would set them free. 
And the people of Jerusalem clearly believed that Jesus was this Messiah, and they went wild as they considered their freedom might have arrived. But listen to me, and this is so important. We have to understand this. The freedom that they were expecting was not the freedom that Jesus intended to bring them. So they had the motivation, right? They, they were motivated that their, that their king was here, that the king of Israel had arrived. But they were thinking about it all wrong. They were, they were a little bit out of context. They didn't fully grasp the big picture. Their focus, their attention was focused on the things of this world. You see, they wanted earthly salvation. They wanted to be saved right now. Save us right now from this tyrannical rule. They wanted to be delivered from the Roman Empire. They were not focusing on the eternal that Jesus was bringing them. But you see, Jesus, he wasn't concerned about that, per se. You see, he had a bigger agenda in mind. And a lot of times, you see, we, we, we get caught up in that, don't we? Mm-hmm. We do. We get, we, get, we get agendas in our mind. Uh, that, that's, that, that's why he's here. That's, that's the way God's going to work. That's what they were doing. Oh, our Messiah's here. We're, we're finally going to be free. But they were thinking small freedom. Here and now. Whereas Jesus was thinking ultimate freedom. Eternal freedom. Because as we know, the things of this world, they don't, they don't last, guys. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's only one way out of this. And every one of us are going to experience it. And after that, you only got two options. And if you don't have Jesus, well, there's only one option. And so Jesus came to give us that second option. And so what Jesus does is Jesus deliberately demilitarizes their vision and declares the nature of his rule, a rule of peace and gentleness. He didn't come to satisfy their instant gratification of wanting to be saved now. He came to save them eternally. But that's not what they focused on. They said, our warlord's finally here. Our earthly king is finally here. And they were focusing on the worldly things. And so I want to ask you this morning, what's the motivation behind your worship, church? Better yet, I want to ask it this way. What's the motivation behind our worship? Together, why are we worshiping, guys? What's the motive behind our worship? Some motivation behind it. Why do we come here every Sunday? We, we sing songs, we read scripture, and we study God's word together, but why are we doing? What's the motivation behind it? Have you guys ever asked yourself that question? Why am I doing this? Why do I wake up every Sunday, iron my shirt, put on my shoes, have that car ride to the church, sit down for an hour, hour and a half? What's the point of it? Yeah. What's the point of it? Absolutely. But ask yourselves, is it to win the approval of others? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So ask yourself, you see, the crowd was cheering and celebrating Jesus, but they had selfish intentions. They wanted salvation now, but... In just a few short days, 
they would be shouting, crucify him. You see, the crowd had their own motives, yet the crowd flipped. That's what we're going to talk about on Good Friday, right? The same crowd that was screaming, Hosanna, is the same crowd that said, kill him. And we all have our own motives, whether it be for the approval of others, maybe to gain earthly pleasures and desires, right? We all love the prosperity gospel. If I worship God, God's going to bless me. Well, if I tithe, then God's going to double that in my bank account. Well, if I worship, then God's going to give me. Or maybe it's out of obligation. Well, my granddaddy went to church, my dad went to church, my mom went to church, grandma went to church, so I should go to church. It's a motive, church. Because we don't have our motive right as they didn't. You see, the motivation was off. In just a few short days, they're going to scream, kill him. Where would we have been at if we put ourselves in that story? And so what I want to do is I want to look at that question with you. What is my motivation? So I want to share with you Corey Ten Boom. She was once asked if it was difficult for her to maintain or remain humble. And her reply was simple. She said, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think for a moment it ever entered the head of the donkey that all of that was for him? And so Corey Ten Boom continued to talk and she said, if I can be the donkey on which Jesus rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and honor. You see, church, true worship is not focused on you and I. We like it to be sometimes. But the truth is true worship is God-centered worship. It's God-focused worship. And what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to get caught up where we should worship and what songs we should sing in worship and how others view me in worship, and all these things are missing the point. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 4 that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. That's what worship is, guys. And so I want to look at with you why we should be worshiping. What is it that we're worshiping, and how should we be worshiping? Because we all should ask ourselves, what's the motivation behind my worship? How should I be worshiping? And today is the day of celebration, right? We're supposed to be celebrating Jesus, right, church? Yeah. And so why are we worshiping? Well, here's what I came up with, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stun you all for just a second. I got seven points. Everyone's looking at their clock now, right? I promise we're going to get out of here, all right? But I have seven points for you this morning. The first one is this. Why, why should we worship Jesus? Well, number one, we should worship God because he is king, plain and simple. You see, Jesus didn't have to ride in on a, war, on a war horse. He didn't have to have the parades of armies behind him because, look, he is the king. And his triumphal entry looked different than others. It looked other than, different than other kingly entries. He wasn't on a war horse with large armies parading behind him. It looked different because Jesus is not like any other king. He's not like earthly king. Church, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so why should we worship him? Well, strictly because, well, he's, he's the king. Plain and simple, he's the ruler. Secondly, why should we worship Jesus? Well, we should worship God because he is who he is. 
No other motivation behind it. You see, God is the creator of the universe. He is, he is worthy of our praise. We worship him because he is, of his transcendence, uniqueness, and holiness. He is God and worthy of our praises. Plain and simple. Why should we worship God? Well, because he is who he is. He's God. He is the great I am. Plain and simple. We worship him because he's king. We worship him because of who he is. We worship God because what he has done for us, church. He created us. He died for us. He saved us. He sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf so that we might be free from sin. And he continues to bless us. Therefore, we worship him. We worship him because of what he's done for us. The fourth thing is we worship God to honor him. We worship him to honor him, guys. We worship, though it does involve us. I, I, please don't take this, don't, don't leave here and say the pastor says I don't have to do anything in worship. No, worship involves us, but it is not the primary focus. It's not primarily for us. We certainly benefit from it, right? How many of you ever leave a Sunday morning or a worship service and say, man, I'm just energized today. That's a good thing. But worship is first and foremost a selfless act of love towards God, plain and simple. We are here to honor him, guys. We're not here to honor ourselves. We do not worship just because we enjoy the emotion or sensation of doing it. Worship does make us feel good, but that's not the primary motivation behind it. We worship God because he deserves it and he desires it of us. That's why we worship him. We worship him to honor him. The fifth thing is we worship God because of our love for him. We all love God, don't we, church? He saved us. And we get to spend an eternity with him. We love him because of it. You see, when God means everything to us, we will worship him. Adoration, exaltation, and appreciation will be impossible to hide as we fall deeper in love with God. And the sixth thing, like I told you guys, we're going to go through them real quick. All right? I know I said seven. That's scary when a pastor says he's got seven points. But I told you, we're going through them quick. Hope you guys are writing these down. Number six is we worship God so that we might draw nearer to him. You see, we find God's presence as we worship him. I love Psalm 100. We are taught to come into God's presence with songs of joy and to enter his gates with rejoicing. Church, we worship God so we can draw nearer to him. God becomes enthroned on our praises. In Psalm 22, the Bible says that God is holy and that he sits enthroned upon the praises of Israel. We draw nearer to him when we worship him. And number seven, the last point, we worship God in anticipation of his coming. Church, he's coming again. When he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, which we're going to talk about next week in Easter, he promised us that he will be coming again. And so we wait anxiously for his return. And when we worship today, we worship with the knowledge that we have the hope of his second coming. Amen. And so let me ask again, church, why are you worshiping? Church, God is worthy to be worshiped, and we should be worshiping because he is the great I am, and he is worthy of our praises. So as we continue to celebrate today, let me encourage you, every time you enter into a house of worship, every time you turn on a Christian song in your car, whatever, however you worship, before you enter into it, ask yourself, why am I worshiping God today? Why am I doing this? What is the motivation behind my worship? And as Christian comes and leads us again in celebration and song, let us worship together because of who God is, church. Let us worship together because of our love for him. 
and let us worship in anticipation of his coming. And so church, if you will, stand to your feet with us one more time. And today, let's worship together with pure hearts, joyful spirits, and loving celebration for what God has done for us. Amen. Let's celebrate together again.
And Lord, today we are going to continue to celebrate. We're going to continue to praise. And we're going to continue to worship you. And it's in your glorious name that we say this. Amen. God bless you guys and I love you.